0: Welcome back to Mind Your Body. I'm so pleased to share today's episode featuring Joan Wittig, an international dance movement therapy educator and one of my very own professors in my dance movement therapy program. From my graduate school interview to the first day of class to this present day, Joan has taught me so much about dance movement therapy and the importance of incorporating the body as therapists, clients, and everyday people. After almost 30 years in the field, Joan continues to emanate an aura of passion and conviction regarding the significance of the mind-body connection, which you will certainly be able to sense through the speakers from this interview. I hope that this interview will inform and inspire you as much as it informed and inspired me. This is Mind Your Body, a dance movement therapy perspective on the integration of our emotional, cognitive, physical, and spiritual aspects of our being into one more aware and whole existence. So, Joan, will you introduce yourself?
1: My name is Joan Wittig. I am a dance movement therapist. Um, I graduated with a master's degree in dance movement therapy from Hunter College in 1987. I have been practicing dance therapy for almost 30 years in a variety of settings with a variety of populations. Currently, I, I was um, hired to help develop the current iteration of the graduate program at Pratt Institute and have been the director of that program for about 15 years. I am the co-founder and director of the New York Center for the Study of Authentic Movement, I was also hired to develop and implement the first dance therapy training program in mainland China. And I'm, I'm the program director of that program, which is called Inspires International. And I'm on the faculty of Dance Therapy New Zealand. So, so I am doing a lot of teaching. And I also have a private practice in Chelsea where I do um, dance therapy with anyone who is interested in it and body-focused work with anyone who's not interested in actually Getting up and moving. So that's my life as a dance therapist.
0: You do a lot. It's inspiring. Um, I don't know if you consider yourself specializing in depression, but I was inspired by your ADTA talk that I saw on YouTube. And I was kind of interested in using that as a focus. So if you're okay with that, could sure. you could you do- I didn't
1: when they asked me to do that talk when the ADTA contacted me, that was the subject that they that someone had recommended me for that. You know, and at first I thought, Well, I don't know anything about dance therapy and depression. <laughs> and then I thought about it for a minute and thought, yeah, pretty much almost everybody I've done dance therapy with over the years has actually suffered from depression, often in addition to other things, schizophrenia, eating disorder, substance abuse. But actually, I do know quite a lot about dance therapy and depression. Yeah. So I'm happy to talk about that.
0: Great. Yeah. So this podcast is, you know, we're talking about topics from a dance movement therapy lens or more deeper mind body connection lens. So I was wondering if you could talk about what depression might feel like for different people from this kind of lens. Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, I'd say that The two things that pop first into my head are one is that people who are depressed describe themselves as feeling numb. That's the first thing that they'll say is that I feel numb. I don't feel anything. And from there, they'll talk about what that's like physically. So they often feel completely disconnected from their bodies, don't even feel like they're in their bodies, at the same time they'll speak about feeling a tremendous weight feeling a heaviness in their body like it's hard to move and that that's such a metaphor because they they feel that literally physically they feel heaviness in their body but that's a metaphor for the emotional experience that they're having and that I and mean, that's part of what I love about dance therapy is that everything is a metaphor you know every emotional experience you have there's a correlating physical experience that goes with it. So when you talk about the physical experience that you have, it's going to be related to the emotional experience and vice versa. Every physical experience you have has a correlating emotional experience. So so just to get back to your question, the things that I hear are about numbness and a disconnect from the body. And that gives us a place to start within dance therapy. Those two things. Um, the primary one being the first thing that you're going to do is work towards facilitating a getting back into the body, having an experience in the body for the person who comes to you describing depression. Mm-hmm. This is a major strength of dance therapy is that we start in the place of health. So we don't start with a pathology. We start with that spark of life, which is the place where the person can still move. They can, st- any little movement, anything at all, and it's just breathing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, you know, when I was in college, actually, I was a dance major as an undergrad and went to my first dance therapy conference, which was in Madison, Wisconsin. They sold T-shirts that said, to breathe is to begin to move. <laughs> and I, I still have mine. <laughs> But that's that's right. You know, as long as the person is breathing, there's some movement in the body and we can go there. It's the breath. That's the sign that the person is still alive. We can go there and start there and start with the part that is alive and that wants to stay alive, that is still breathing. We start there. And so that gives us something so fundamental to build on as dance therapists. And, you know, I think some other ways of approaching therapy, focus more on the pathology, more on what's not healthy. But That's not us. That's not what we do. So to me, that's part of what makes dance therapy such a, a logical way to work with most things. But today we're talking about depression.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Could you give some examples of you? you did mention numbness and heaviness? And I'm wondering if you have more examples of the physical that correlates with the emotional, and also curious. What do you think people with depression are are holding inside that is making it so heavy? And also with with the numbness, what do you think they're numbing themselves from? Is it a specific mm-hmm. feeling, or is it a mix of feelings?
1: I think it's it's always more than one thing, you know, because there are so many different root causes for depression. So for some people, it's a depression that's indirect relationship to an event in their life like they lost their partner or something like that like a loss um certainly we saw a lot of depression along with anxiety after the attacks on the world trade center and uh there was so much to feel sad about there and and so much fear too about just our what we believed that seemed to be shaken right to the very core i think You know, I've done a lot of additional training in modern analytic group theory in particular. And one of the things, because I think that's a perfect fit with dance therapy. You know, the the basic underlying theory is it's about progressive emotional communication in the moment. And that's exactly what dance therapy is. Right. We start out with the warm up and then we just follow the movement where it goes, it develops, it develops. And as soon as, as imagery or metaphor comes in, now we have a context for emotional experience and emotional communication. And we just follow it and support the development of the movement. And along with the movement, there's a development of the emotional experience and, and the emotional content So whatever is in there is coming to the surface and then coming out. And the other thing about modern analytic theory is that um, they really value expression of aggression. And they have a very broad definition of aggression. So, you know, the narrow definition is anger, but that's really only one tiny part. Aggression is really your life force. It's anything, any part of you that can get what's in you up and out into the world. It can be play. It can be dance. It can be creativity of any sort. And so you asked me about depression and the happiness and, you know, the very, very oversimplified but useful way to think about depression is that it is anger that's turned inward or aggression that's turned inward that needs to be directed out. And that's useful. It's that's way too simple, right? It's much more complex than that. But that's a, a fine way to start to talk about it. Because I think that, that that depression is, it's a drawing in, it's a spiraling in and down and in and down until the depressed person is so thoroughly isolated that there is nothing but heaviness. And so I think that they're generally protecting themselves and maybe protecting other people from anger. And and that that's oversimplified. You know, there's more to it than just anger. But I think that there is that kind of energy, aggressive energy that is being turned inward and needs to go out instead. And that that results in the numbness, the heaviness, you know, the image of just lying on the floor and never, never moving and never getting up. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. I think that depressed people are protecting themselves from their anger and they're protecting the rest of the world from their anger and that that's. That's often a thing that gets, you know, you you heard me say in my talk that modern analysts say if you have to choose between suicide and homicide, choose homicide. And, you know, that's such a dramatic statement. But they're, what they're saying is get that energy up and out. So don't direct it at yourself. Direct it out in any way you can and anybody you can. Uh-huh. You know, we're looking to help with appropriate ways of directing that energy out. You know, we're not wanting people to just lash out or become violent. It's nothing like that. But when we get depressed people into their bodies, that's one of the things that we offer is it's like it's the spiraling up and out. And we offer a million different ways for that to happen.
0: Right. Well, that was kind of my next question. If Do you have any examples of how we do get that out. And this is actually pretty relevant to a case that I have now, someone who's afraid of their own anger and will direct it at themselves at the cost of hurting themselves and just continuing to suffer from depression and holding all that energy inside. And maybe, yeah. maybe energy is another word for it, like aggressive energy. Do, is that, do you also think that's not necessarily aggression, but just a drive for anything, for life? Or...
1: Yeah, I mean, and I, I include that in my definition of aggression, but, I, you know, whatever language the people you're talking to can lead to, people tend to be uncomfortable with the idea of aggression, you know, and I've, I remember I belonged to sort of a cooperative community group for a while, and they would read these rules at the beginning, and one of them was no aggression. And I, I finally, when I had been a member of the group long enough, I took exception with that. and was like, but that's where, that's all our creative energy. Like, I, I think, and it's there. And we need to figure out how to manage the aggressive feelings that we have towards each other, or there will never be any true intimacy here. I I said there can be all kinds of structure around it. But so for me, yes, it is more. I like that you're using the word energy. And I think it is important for us to use Whatever language is meaningful to the people we're talking to, because aggression is not that's not the word that people can be comfortable with because of their associations to it. That's OK. We can find other ways I'm talking about it. So dance therapy, we can provide through imagery targets for the anger, the aggression, the energy, you know, however we're going to talk about it. So in groups, if I think about when I worked in an inpatient psychiatric unit and groups Who might be feeling, you know, anger, frustration, we could find a target and the whole group could sort of line up together and all together we could direct our anger and frustration at some imaginary target, you know. But the point that I want to get to is that I spoke earlier about depression and isolation. And in those group settings, you were not alone. You could look around and see everybody else in the group. Moving with you and doing whatever we were doing, directing our anger at whatever, you know, the the hospital, the housing authority, the you know, the, the point is, is that everybody in the room could feel supported because of the synchronous movement and the willingness that everyone would have to direct our energy at a joint target. So in group work, that's one of the benefits that I see is that there can be a little bit of a playfulness that um, that a number of people feel they can join in together. And then that's accomplishing two things. And one is it's dealing with the isolation, but it's also it's normalizing this idea of directing this of getting this energy up and out because it's not just me. Oh, my therapist is doing it. Oh, everybody else in the group is doing it. Let me try this. So it's that the support of the group that can make something possible that sometimes is impossible, even just one on one, as you probably are noticing with your client you're speaking of.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure you're implying this, but I think it's also important to say how important the role of the dance movement therapist is in facilitating this. As simple as the simple interaction of looking around the room and noticing the other, in my experience, that takes a good amount of facilitation from me, you know, in the beginning, the warm up part of the groups where if i might not point that out like making eye contact with the person across the room or looking at the person next to you or noticing that this person is doing a similar movement or mirroring your movement they might not notice that at all because they're so used to being isolated mm-hmm. as you say
1: yeah i mean that that was sort of my first goal when i worked when i was working with chronic schizophrenics many of whom were also depressed your first task is to get them to realize that they're not sitting in a room alone <laughs> you know, they're sitting in a room with eight other people <laughs> and the the synchronous movement is a good way to bring that realization into fruition that, oh, we're everybody's reaching forward at the same time. You know, I'm doing the same movement as seven other people at the same time. And yes, it's the leader of the group. It's the dance movement therapist who's facilitating that. Through um, movement and or through words, you know, we use words. We just don't privilege words. We just don't think that they're the most important part of the session. But we can use them to support the movement work that we do and to make those connections and to make those, those bridges, to point out the ways in which those are happening in movement and in the body. And... I, you know, there's so many different ways that the therapist can be involved if we're if we're talking about chase work or mirroring or making relationship in that way, then the, the dance movement therapist is moving with the patient or the patients. But it might be something that's more more of a directive improvisational structure, you know, where maybe you get the the individual or the group members moving together, but you're not really moving with them. You're sort of watching and kind of giving continuous directives to develop the movement or, of course, you know, authentic movement where the therapist is acting as the witness and is not moving, is witnessing someone else's movement that's coming. It's interdirected. So, but I, you know, I'm thinking about a woman that I've worked with for some years. And when she, and she came to me specifically for dance therapy, she had a verbal therapist. But this is interesting. I've had a number of people over the years who came to me on the recommendation of their verbal therapist. So often they were people who were doing verbal work elsewhere, or sometimes they were people who had done years of verbal work, but, but they would all say something similar along the lines of intellectually I understand what the problem is and I understand what needs to change but it's just not getting in somehow so I thought maybe if I involved my body maybe it would get in and I would actually be able to make the changes and that's such an intuitive knowing you know because that is if it's only happening in your head it's not fully integrated you know Daria Halperin who is an expressive arts therapist, I I think the way she wrote about it was the thinking body, the sensing body, and the emotional body, something like that. Anyway, which she she wrote about the different parts of ourselves, our thinking self, then our sensing self, which she would equate with our physical body, and then our emotional self. They're all located in the body. And if you don't involve all three of them, then it's going to be a slower process. I'm, you know, I I won't say it doesn't work. I think verbal therapy is wonderful. You know, it's just different than dance therapy, and dance therapy does offer this integration. And mind you, you know, all a lot of uh, the early psychoanalytic language spoke quite regularly about the body. Freud said the ego is first and foremost a body ego. There's a lot of language in psychoanalytic writing about the body and the importance of the body. But that said, psychoanalysis doesn't really deal with the body. They know about the importance of it, but they don't, you know, you just talk. You don't go into action. But we are all about going into action. That's where everything is happening. And it's because of that integration, I think, that people intuitively seek dance therapy or the people who come to me saying, "I, I know what it is, but nothing is changing. So, but I was going to tell you about this woman I worked with, she couldn't really move at first, you know, she, she was very active in her imagination, but not her body. So I said, well, how about, how about if I move, if you direct me, you, you tell me what you want to see and I'll do it. And we did that just for a couple sessions and she would direct me and like, she might say how she was feeling. No. Crouch down more. scrunch out more. No, more attention. No, make a face. No, you know, and she would direct me until I looked the way she felt. And we only did that a couple of times, and then she was able to do it herself. But part of what was so important about that is that she saw herself in me. So it was an externalization of part of herself that she felt was really ugly. And somehow when she saw it in me, It was more acceptable. So then we could invite that part of her into the room and she could start to move and she could embody it herself. She didn't have to reject it. She didn't have to split it off anymore. She could actually own that part of herself, move with that part of herself, bring that part of herself into the whole process of integrating that I've been speaking a little bit about. So there's so many different ways that we can do this. You know, it's always just a question of starting where the mover is, just looking at them, looking at their body. Where are they? Do they need to be joined in movement? Do they need to be witnessed? What is it that they need? And then we'll do that. You know, I'm thinking about another woman that I'm still working with. I've been working with her for many years. And she also had a verbal therapist came for the movement. And there was a period of time Mm -hmm. where, She'd go and she I was doing authentic movement with her. So she would be moving alone with her eyes closed and I would be witnessing her and she would come and find me with her eyes closed. She'd walk over, crawl over and she would touch me and then she could go into the movement space and she would always do that once or twice at the beginning of the session. And it made me think developmentally of, you know rapprochement of roughly two years old, where the child is starting to individuate, but needs to know that mom is there and can go back. And and there was something profound happening for her, that actually that when she came looking for me, that I was there. And she had her eyes closed. And sometimes eventually she would come and sit with her head on my knee for a little while. And then she'd go off and move. But it was pretty essential to her development. Her being able to sort of look back at her own sadness and sense of loss and depression and inner directed rage and um, get some realizations about where that came from and what she needed and what it was like to actually have somebody who was there when she went looking, you know. So these are just examples of different ways that we might start the work. Mm-hmm. What about you and your, your patient?
0: Well, what I wanted to say is, um, not necessarily with this patient, but so the, the thing that you said about, you know, I've had people who I've worked with, who've come to me who say, I get it cognitively. I understand, but I just can't feel a shift. And I remember you saying that in one of our first classes and that stuck with me forever. Mm -hmm. I mean, it still is part of me. And it, 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 really, I was like, oh, yeah. You know, um, when I was trying to figure out what dance therapy was myself. And I, I work in, in inpatient and outpatient psychiatry. And a common theme that comes up with patients is we, we have all these groups about, you know, more verbal groups about, you know, being positive and staying positive and thinking positive, but I just don't feel positive. <laughs> And yeah. so it kind of reminds me of the same thing. Like I can, I think there's some value to mantras and rewiring your brain through more positive thoughts and feelings. And I, I wanted to say actions, really. So it's kind of like, well, and this is usually at the end of group, and and I'll I'll say, well, think about the experience we just had. Usually, it's a positive one. Mm-hmm. How can you have more of those or what did you feel in those moments where, you know, we were moving together and, you know, people were smiling and laughing and connecting with each other and, you know, what was that? Was that positive? You know, and then how could you have more of those in your life? It's kind of like that. It's like, oh, yeah, Yeah. the experience, the actual physical, active, energetic experience is, is something that's positive that I can feel deeply.
1: Yeah, you know, Alyssa White, who was your teacher, she was my teacher also. (laughs) I've heard her say more than once that one of the challenges of doing dance therapy with depressed patients is that when you start to move, when you start to move together, dance together, it feels so good that for a moment your depressed feelings are, they kind of disappear, you know, (laughs) where are they? Um, And that it can take a little while before people actually get grounded you know, back to their baseline feelings, like there's just a momentary relief from the feelings because it feels good to move. Um, and that's great. But the work that we're doing is much more in depth. We're not looking for just these moments of feeling better because you're dancing. You know, we are looking for insight that just leads to greater freedom. That's our goal, as you know, that's, that's the way I think about it. It's up to each individual, whether they want to change or not, but they need to have the freedom to change if they want to or the freedom not to change. So we're just raising to their conscious awareness that which was unconscious and, and giving them more freedom in that way. And so, yeah, it, it can be really, really be fun, but because when you start to move, then it reminds you that you're alive you have an actual sensory experience like oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) you know i remember what this feels this feels so good i haven't you know and and it's that sensory experience it's that connection to aliveness that's the spark of health that i talked about earlier that's what we what we draw from you know we know how to Facilitate an experience of that spark of life. And then we know how to facilitate expanding that, expanding that, expanding that so that the mover can come more and more into remembering what it feels like to be alive. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm thinking too of Marion Chase, who just simply stated that movement is communication. So we offer through movement. The possibility to be in communication with someone, even when you have no words to describe your experience, when you're so depressed that you can't even talk. We offer the possibility for relationship and for community through shared movement. It doesn't have to be much. I'm sure you've done plenty of sessions in chairs with nothing more than tapping toes. If you're doing it with other people, then there's a sense of community that allows an experience that wouldn't be possible otherwise if you can't talk about it. And, of course, you know, this is not just for when you're too depressed to talk. but We all work with plenty of people who, who can't benefit from traditional verbal work for a variety of reasons because they're in an acute state of schizophrenia and their thinking is disorganized and they can't, uh, you know, or maybe they don't speak English or, you know, maybe they, for some developmental reason just don't use language the way other people do and we can offer the possibility of communication and and in-depth work without the need for that as can art therapy as can music therapy you know we're not the only ones but mm-hmm. we all know how to rely on the creative process and how to value the non mm-hmm.
0: yeah well i i work in mostly a short-term setting and see my patients maybe once or twice, maybe a little bit more in the outpatient program, but not for not very long. So you're talking about you know finding the the resource or finding the the you know the life that you do have, and mm-hmm. and then expanding it. But I don't often have more than one chance to expand it. So I was curious about. I, I imagine that there are a lot of therapists, <laughs> dance therapists, and related fields who who. Maybe you feel the same struggle. So, what do you suggest?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think we all have to have some goals for our work all the time, you know. And the goals that you have are going to be different depending on who you're working with. But it is important to have goals. Patients know when you don't, and that's that's discouraging to them. Yalom writes about that in his book on inpatient group psychotherapy. You know that. If the, if the therapist has no goals for the patient, the patient thinks, oh, even my therapist doesn't think I can do anything. I guess I can't, you know? So, but our, but the goals for inpatient settings have changed a lot since when I worked in inpatient, average length of stay was more like three to four weeks. And we had time to really, to help the individuals compensate and then really solidify that for a while before they got sent back out. And I know that that's not how it is anymore. So we had time to do insight-oriented work when I worked in inpatient. But I think now what creative arts therapists, what dance therapists are doing in inpatient psychiatry is by helping your patients feel that spark of life, you are giving them a reason to go and do more insight-oriented work in their outpatient settings. So we give them a good enough experience in the hospital so that they'll maybe be willing to go and continue their therapy on an outpatient basis when they leave. That's what I'd say to you. You're doing really important work. The work that you are doing, you are the ones who are finding that spark of health and aliveness and giving your patients an experience of it. That's what you're doing. Yeah,
0: it's a great way to, to look at it. I would say in my experience, that seems really accurate and People might have that spark for just the session, and they might not be able to hold on to it, and we'll see them again. Mm-hmm. Um, some people have that spark, and it's really profound, and even during the rest of their stay, they'll they'll tell me, you know, wow, that was just amazing, and the best group I've had here, and really affected me, and I'm going to go out and do whatever it is, it it might not be dancing or moving um, in the way that we did, but it'll be like, I'm going to go and take more walks or I'm going to join a gym or, you know, something lively, like you're saying.
1: Yeah. They're going to live in their bodies.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: I I mean, I think, you know, Alyssa, Alyssa laughingly saying, Oh, you know, it's challenging because it it feels so good to move. How do we get them back to their depressed feelings? But (laughs) Um, but it, she, you know she says that she's laughing when she says that, and it it's uh, it's such an essential part of the work that we do to provide the opportunity for our clients and our patients to feel pleasure in their bodies i mean that's that's no small thing
0: mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I feel like uh you asked about my clients and um, I see her maybe twice a week in the inpatient setting, and she is a longer term adolescent there right now. Sometimes she's happy and, or happy enough and a little bit more upbeat. And sometimes she's really, really low and depressed and shaking because there's so much in there that she's starting to feel because of something that maybe happened on, just happened on the unit, maybe a fight or something that, that induced some fear in her other feelings. And What I wanted to say is that I feel like I have to trust that even though there are such changes in her mood, you know, a lot of the time and even in our sessions, I I feel like I have to trust that the, the movement that we do and the positive experiences that can be formed or facilitated in our sessions can kind of spark change little by little and have her be able to access those kinds of feelings more.
1: Mm hmm. I think that's exactly right. You know, you you provide an awareness of the possibility that they didn't know it was possible before. And there's so much about movement because, you know, all of our pre-verbal, all of our memories are stored in our bodies, but including our pre-verbal memories. So we, in movement, we have access to the whole person, to everything that's there, to their entire history, right up until now. So there's so much information. So this is why, you know, when our patients start moving, when we're just moving with them, we're just moving. And the warm up, you know, just moving. This could be anything. It could be an exercise class, It could be a dance class, it could be anything. And then when the time is right, you ask a simple question like, what are we doing? And somebody offers an image and the image has some emotional, well, maybe not, not originally, you know, maybe the first thing they say is like, we're stomping, stomping on what stomping on, you know, sometimes they go with really concrete things, right? How many of your groups have stomped stomped on cockroaches, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but then they get to the more abstract, like stomping on my doctor because you won't let me leave the hospital, you know, or stomping on my mom because she put me in here or and, and now everybody's invested in it. It's that imagery combined with the movement that invites in the emotional content. It, it's the movement that actually brings the shared emotional content into the room as easily as it does. And we don't have to take turns in dance therapy. You know, when you're in a verbal group. You can only really have one person talking at a time. But in dance therapy, we are all engaged continuously in the movement and in the expression and in the experience. So if your group is 45 minutes, it's 45 minutes of experience for each person. You know, it's not five minutes of experience because the other 40 were spent listening to other people, which is valuable. I I know I love verbal group therapy. I no way mean to to diminish the value of it. It's just different. You know, and so we do we have this way of working that is direct experience for the whole time through the whole session and so many different ways to use movement.
0: Yeah. As you're talking, just thinking of all the experiences I've had in group therapy and, you know, people can get stuck in their words, too. I I do the expressive therapy orientation for new employees. And, you know, I also present what dance therapy is before every group. You know, there's always someone new in there. And I'm a little more transparent with the employees, but people can get stuck in their words and these patterns of telling their stories as well. So I agree with you. I think verbal therapy can be extremely effective, and I think it is for a lot of the patients. But I think especially for certain people, you know, it's kind of like you have a broken record of a story and that mirrors the pattern that you're stuck in and maybe why you don't feel an energy shift and and that we can filter so much through our words. We know how to choose certain words. We know how to hold back certain words. And then, but when you're moving spontaneously in the moment, there are things that you're expressing that you maybe didn't even know you had access to, like you're referring to making the subconscious more conscious.
1: Yeah. And it's things that you don't even know are there because we all protect ourselves. We know none of us wants to be overwhelmed by our feelings. And so we protect ourselves. We don't even know we're doing it and we don't even know what's there. And then you start moving and it's so much harder to be engaged in your defenses in your body. You know, you start moving and things start to sort of crack open a little bit not like wide open we're not interested in ripping anybody wide open you know but just that little like it's like you know having a being in a mud bath you know that dries and then you start (laughs) crack it a little bit you know when you're coming up out of it it's like that and 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 the sensations and the emotions that come up that come up to the surface and the awareness of the mover. Just like uh, amazing, you know I didn't know, I didn't know this was here, I didn't know I felt like this. I didn't remember this. you know the memories that come through the body in the movement, so you know I just gonna circle back around because we're talking about depression and how useful that is you know to have the the origins of the depression become clear to the depressed person in movement things that they haven't thought about or didn't even know were there until they started moving because we protect ourselves. And, you know, it's sort of all or nothing. You have all your feelings or you have none of your feelings, you know. In the protecting, depressed people are not able to decide what to filter through and what not. It's the numbness. They have to cut themselves off from everything. But the experience of movement can allow felt experience, emotional experiences in a way that is safe so that it doesn't overwhelm people, you know, and we were we the leaders work on that, too. You know, we know how to do that. We know how to come forward. We know how to pull back. I mean, it's interesting in, in a verbal group therapy session, if you moved, you know, if you went into action, that would be considered acting out or technically acting in if it's happening. And so, so that's like, that's a bad thing, you know, instead of using your words to express your feelings, you're, you're acting out. But this not acting out when we do it, it's direct expression of emotional experience. It's not acting out. It is the thing. We're not using words. We're using our body. We're using movement. It is direct experience of the emotion and direct communication of it. And that that's so amazing. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's funny. In my own verbal group therapy that I'm in, every once in a while, um, I just am so restless. I have to stand up. And I've been given permission to do it, but I have to stand behind my chair. <laughs> and I, I get it. I think hmm. it's, it's symbolic. There's nobody in that room who's really afraid that I'm going to lose control and once I'm on my feet, leap across the circle and throttle somebody. But, you know... I respect the group therapist who is, he is symbolically uh, maintaining the container by not allowing me to stand in the middle of the circle. I have to stand on the outside of the chairs. But it kind of makes me laugh because I think, you know, I could be over that chair and on somebody in a heartbeat. (laughs) I'm a dance therapist. You can put me behind the chair, but that's really not making these people any safer. (laughs) But I said that.
0: (laughs) You didn't say that? Yeah. Well, that's how you're expressing your aggression at the moment. I see.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I mean, because we don't allow that. We don't in dance therapy. There's no violence. There's no violent acting. out. It's not an issue. You know, it's not an issue. I mean, I've been doing this for almost 30 years and I'm trying to think right now the number of times I've had to actually intervene.
0: I can't even. You haven't worked with adolescents, have you?
1: (laughs) No, I haven't. I worked with adults, inpatient psych, you know, inpatient, outpatient, substance abuse, eating disorders. I've worked with the elderly. I've worked with individual adolescents. So no, I haven't worked with children or adolescents. So maybe you need to break them up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I have broken them up a few times. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But it's not a big issue, really, in dance therapy. Not as much as you might think it would be because they're doing something together
0: Mm -hmm.
1: in it together.
0: Yeah. We're talking about sensations coming up and it could happen that a sensation comes up that reminds the person of their trauma or feels when I say reminds, I mean like it's the sensation that reminds them of their trauma and you know, they might respond a certain way. They might respond in withdrawing or being a little bit more aggressive, but not able to contain it. Mm -hmm. Have you, have you had any of those experiences?
1: Not really. Not really. I think that that's more, it's interesting, you know, especially talking about trauma in my life as a therapist, the therapy community has really gone through a number of different stages in terms of the thinking about treating trauma. And there was a period kind of in the early years of my life as a therapist when there was a lot of worry about re-traumatizing people. But fortunately, we got over that. (laughs) And realize it's not so easy to re-traumatize people. And what we need is to be able to assist people in re-experiencing their trauma in enough of a contained way so that the person feels does feel contained and held and feels that it's safe to have this emotional experience now. And so that's our work, you know, and that's done in lots of different ways. I think EMDR does that. I think there are a lot of specific approaches to trauma that are about giving the trauma survivor control over the way in which they remember the trauma. We provide the structure for that. In dance therapy, when those sensations come up, we we are trained to understand something about what we're seeing. So you see a person who begins to withdraw, or you see a person who looks like they're becoming maybe overstimulated, and you know how to intervene and shift the movement. To accommodate the change that you're seeing, so how to contain what looks like overstimulation, or how to draw back out what looks like withdrawal, and we can always do that in the movement and the body i think do you do you feel like you have experiences where people remember their trauma in ways that are then i don't know too disturbing or hard to contain
0: um I mean, I think it's mixed. I think I have some experiences where, you know, that, that really doesn't happen yeah. in certain populations. But I there are certain populations, like adolescents and mm-hmm. children more specifically, where I just feel like it can happen so fast that it's hard for me to catch it as quickly as maybe I, I should or I could. And, you know, something happens, a fight happens, or, you know, there's some pseudo-fainting or pseudo-seizures that present as fainting without medical reason. Yeah. So those kinds of things sometimes really sneak up. But I, I I think it's also important to say that I work with pretty large groups. So, you know, we can have groups in our hospital up to uh, close to 20 sometimes.
1: Yeah, yeah. I've done those groups. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, yes, I mean, it's part of the work that we do is to you know, when people are merged with their emotional experience, that can be overwhelming. But I, I also feel that movement combined with imagery can be very effective in unmerging. So creating just a little space between the individual and their emotional experience, if you know what I mean. And that's elaborate? like so like, literally, you know, it's like I'm not I'm not an angry woman. I'm a woman feeling anger. So I as an angry woman I'm merged with my feelings and that's overwhelming. But when I can say I, I am a woman experiencing anger, then it's something different. So in the movement, the way that we can do that is to offer sort of a projective image. So yeah, let's 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 punch. Let's put you know, what are we punching? And then so you externalize, you 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 create an external object, you know, or yeah let's let's get rid of all the stuff now. let's kick that stuff over and bury it over there the it's the the images actually that that's what I mean by sort of creating some space between the the feeling and so it's not just like me turning into a whirling dervish, but it's me directing the emotional experience out, and there's an image that facilitates that directing it out. That's the separation you know that's being able to observe it as a, as opposed to just feel it and feel like you're exploding. You know, mm-hmm. anytime that you can sort of look at it and say, Oh, look at that. I'm ripping that thing right up into little shreds," <laughs> You know, you're observing yourself. There's a little space there between mm-hmm. you. Other, You're just madly and you can't even see yourself doing it. You're sort of in a little fugue state there for a minute, right. you know, right. so anytime you can observe it. And I feel that we can, Help with that mm-hmm. through attaching an image to the movement. And sure, people have fights. People have moments of that's okay. I mean, that happens in verbal therapy too, where someone lashes out, and the and the therapist says, okay, that was an attack. I'm going to help you find a different way to say that. So you separate the kids and you help them resolve the experience. It's going to happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah, nothing very horrible has happened in in my experience, so that's good.
1: Yeah, Yeah, me too, all those years of working in inpatient psychiatry. Nothing worth speaking about.
0: (laughs) That's good. Maybe there are some people who are not necessarily in the therapy field, but are people who can relate to being depressed. Eh, Well, you can have overlap with that, right? So people who are feeling depressed, feeling symptoms of depression, and maybe don't have access to therapy for whatever reason. I was curious, what would you suggest to begin finding that spark?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's hard because when someone's feeling depressed and they're alone, they, they don't really have the motivation. So that's hard. But I would say the first thing is to deal with isolation. So just like get out of your house (laughs) doesn't matter what you do just get out and go towards other people and if you could find something if you have the energy and you can find something like a meditation class or a yoga class or something that does involve the body involves physical activity those would be you know useful ways to start because it, being in the body the sensations that go with that are more likely to help the person Remember that they're alive. And so to do that in a group, you know, to find a, a free yoga class or maybe there's a local place where there are group sits from meditation or from there, you know, anything, <laughs> any anything that could get a person out of that, of that house and into a place where they might feel a sense of community would be the first step. If that can be something physical, that much better, that much better. But it doesn't have to be that they could be doing anything. They could be writing or making art or volunteering at a food pantry or that. The isolation, I think, is the first thing that has to be addressed. Mm -hmm. And there really is a lot out there that um, is not therapy, but that will be therapeutic, that will provide a sense of community and a sense of self. There's so much going on in the world, you know, that these days that would really, I mean, it's interesting because some of the ways that I work in movement actually involve kind of tapping into one's altruistic sense. So in the talk that you heard, I, I talked about a group that I did at Woodhall Hospital years ago and how much of the imagery involved helping each other. You know, we were facing all these obstacles and somebody... Pretended he was putting his jacket down to help us step over a mud puddle and you know somebody was the first one to walk across a questionable surface to make sure it was safe for all of us and there was so much imagery that was about helping each other and I've noticed that too and I've done I do a lot of work with compulsive eaters. And the things that the, like the women will improvise for each other, you know, I might sit with you and tell you something that I'm that I'm worried about or that I'm struggling with right now. And then you would move. You would improvise in movement. You're kind of working on my problem for me. The things that these women would do for each other, you know, that that sense of altruism, the sense of being able to help and support other people is also extremely helpful. These women would do these, these deep in-depth movement explorations for each, for their partner that they would never have done for themselves. If you want me to explore your problem? Let me get started. <laughs> and I would let people improvise around someone else's problem instead of their own. And the work that comes out of that is amazing. And that the sense of altruism of feeling like you can actually be of use to someone else is very, very important for people who are depressed to feel that connection.
0: Yeah, and I think a sense of, of worth, of worthiness in the world. Yes, of value. Yeah.
1: Just kind of can't say enough how much moving, you know, that aliveness, how much that means to people. You can't say that enough. And everyone experiences yeah. it in their own way, in ways that have nothing to do with dancing, you know, or, or what, dance therapy. Everyone, everyone has experienced this in their own way but in dance therapy we work with it in a very particular way.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's really important to say and it's making me think of you know people who go skydiving or do really adventurous or extreme adventures, maybe not so extreme too, but yeah. just like that sense of being alive and doing something that almost reinforces your ability to survive and
1: even like the the extreme popularity of yoga For example, or all the interest in dancing now, dancing with the stars. So you think you can dance, you know, that's to me speaks to a basic need that people are feeling. They may not even be aware that they're feeling it, but they're obviously feeling it. Look at the extreme interest in movement right now in in the United States. And this has been going on for a few years now. Because there's something missing and there's some intuitive knowing that it's about the body and it's about movement.
0: Yeah, I mean, I always say, I just think it's crazy that that's not already obvious. I mean, we all have bodies and we all feel things in our bodies. As you mentioned very early on in the interview, everything that we feel, we have a physical sensation to it. You know, I have butterflies in my stomach. My chest is feeling tight. I feel heavy, I feel light, I feel yeah. whole, like, yeah.
1: And that's fascinating, isn't it? There's a million expressions in English that are about a physical description of an emotional experience. So our language understands the relationship between body and emotion, but we cut ourselves off from it. Our culture cuts ourselves off from it. But our language, it's all over our language.
0: hmm yeah.
1: You know, I mean, every person who I was interested in studying dance therapy at Pratt, every single one of them, why dance therapy? Why do you want to do this? Every single person will talk about sort of a moment of realization in her own life or his own life that got them to see that, oh, dance and movement and the body was my way out. It's what saved me. It's what woke me up. It's what, you know, all of us had an experience that led us down this path.
0: Absolutely. And that goes back to what we were saying earlier. Even if we only have one session with our clients, we can only hope that we can provide that kind of deep experience that will stick with them and motivate them to keep finding their spark.
1: That's right. It's a good experience, you know, that that they'll remember the good experience and want to have it again.
0: Well, thank you. (sighs) Thank you so much.
1: I, it's such a pleasure. I really feel very honored to be a part of your wonderful project.
0: Oh, thanks, Joan. You're welcome, Marie. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Mind Your Body. If you haven't already, please click subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or any app that you use to listen to these episodes visit the facebook page called mind your body a dance movement therapy perspective the more likes and the more action we get on the facebook page the more we can spread the word